done. And the mouth of man. to deliver trend. What? I'll be joining my new publishers now. You take the manuscript back to the world for me. That's what you do. What I do. You are what I write. Like this town. It wasn't here before I wrote it. And neither were you. No. I know what's real. I know what I am. And nobody pulls my strings. Did you think my agent attacked you by accident? He read about you. In there. He knew you'd bring it back and start the change. Make what's happened here happen everywhere. Try to stop you. I think, therefore, you are. Read it if you don't believe me. See what I have in store for you. Know what I am? to stand out from the herd. It's the Cinema 9 Podcast with your host, Eric Brandstrom, Michael Govier, and Travis Roy, coming to a speaker near you right now. Everybody, you are listening to the Cinema Nine Podcast, brought to you by as a yet-to-be-identified sponsor, but maybe someday there'll be one. Who knows? At this time, it's brought to you by the three of us: Michael, Eric, and Travis. We're here live, uncensored, and ready to talk movies. Travis, hey. are you ready to talk about film? That's that's what we're here for. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm excited. I know you are. Always prepared. I like it. Always got plenty of notes and detail on several films. We're going to learn a lot today. Eric, what's going on in Griffith, Indiana? It's another beautiful day here in Griffith, and we're going to talk film. <laughs> is film a snobby word to you guys? Like, not that you see it that way, but if you cinema say film. Cinema is, but you can say film. But if you're like, I'm a fan of cinema, that's a little snobby. They're both snobby, but I say them both because I'm snobby, so it's fine. <laughs> okay. That's the kind of honesty you get here at the Cinema 9 Pod. Hey, Cinema yo. 9 Podcast, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, and you can email the show, Cinema 9 Pod at protonmail.com cinema nine pod numerical number 
nine. MySpace, Pony Express, oh, yeah. GeoCities. Friendster, be there. All right, so today's show, we got some of the usuals. We've got uh, our top three, Winona Ryder. Top three, that's hey. where we're going to start the show. The main course of the podcast will be about <laughs> In the Mouth of Madness. 1995 John Carpenter film. We'll talk Hey-o. about that. Does it hold up? We're going to find out. <laughs> And then we're going to get to an email uh, that talks about the Oscars and some Oscar snubs. And we will close the show as we (laughs) always do with our quarantine selections. Yes. Laid it all out. That's right. There is still a pandemic going on for those of you that are not aware. And we are giving you viewing picks to get you through it. All right. So with that said, the lovely, the talented. Oh, by the way, I always ask, Travis, how are you doing? How's it going over there? You know, thank you for asking, Mike. I, I am I'm doing well uh, here in Philadelphia. Um, I feel a little bad for people that maybe you know tuned in. Like, if you tuned in last episode for the first time and came back this time, extra thank you to you because like you don't necessarily go out like, oh, here's a someone did a podcast about this movie I love. What 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 things do they have to say about it? What clever you know insightful <laughs> <laughs> thoughts might they have? Surely they don't just fucking rip on it for two hours and call it <laughs> <laughs> we went pretty so, hard uh, on vanilla sky yeah so hopefully i like i you know yeah we might be a little nicer today i think it and, sucks uh, your fucking soul <laughs> <laughs> uh, i talked to a couple and, uh, people yeah. who like that movie so yeah i there were several people i talked to and like oh i can't wait to listen to your vanilla sky pod i really love that movie i'm like oh boy <clears throat> so how about you, Eric? How you doing over there in Griffith? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm ready to talk Winona. As you know, she is my all-time favorite actress. So I'm Who excited. Said that? Who said you could claim that? What the hell? That's bullshit. She's always been his favorite <laughs> actress. As long as I've known this dude. Like, I met this God. guy when I was like 13. He's like, have you heard of this Winona writer? Every locker. Every locker <laughs> for, for 15 years was just speckled with Winona Ryder's face. Constantly. Uh, I'm also very passionate when it comes to Winona Ryder. Very important to me. (laughs) Uh, Though her, we'll talk about it. Latter half of her career question. Yes, she really defined a lot of fashion in the 90s. So let's talk Winona Ryder top three, uh, top three performances, top three movies. Uh, How did you guys look at this? Good question. I kind of went both on that because I uh, I like okay I like her a lot. I think she's a lot of fun to watch. I've always been a fan. I don't necessarily feel like she's the strongest actor out there in the world, um, but I do like her movies. So like I like what I ended up picking for my number one. I definitely picked because I like the movie overall. But like what I picked for my number three, I picked more for her performance. So I kind of mixed it up. Okay, Eric, did you do the same or what was your focus? Well. I, I figured we'd have some obvious picks, so I tried to throw in uh, two out of three that, you know, I thought were a little under the radar, and maybe even one that people, a lot of people haven't seen that I adore that gets a little bit of flex. So yeah, I'm excited. Okay, well, I definitely focused on her best performances, the top three performances. That was my area of focus. So Travis, as always, let's go from three to one. Give us your number three, and of course, you probably got an honorable mention or two. Well, you know, I do have some honorable mentions. We're going to save them for the end, though, because I feel like they, in, case, in case anything gets looked over. Uh, very although, respectable. You know, of course, her, her performance in Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie is just mind-blowing. Who could forget? But um, <laughs> I'm a little nervous to say anything because I feel like any movie I say, Eric's going to be like, damn it, that was mine, you know? <laughs> um, but my number three, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout out uh, Destination Wedding. 
with Keanu Reeves, uh, ro romantic comedy um, that uh, I felt like it, it, it was a bit of a turn for her a little bit. She was smarmier even than usual. And it, it's also like a really outside the box and kind of and it, like, I don't know, it's kind of a different, but also like an old school, like, oh, they meet each other, they hate each other kind of romantic comedy. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So if you haven't seen that one, check it out. What's hilarious is that these two have no idea they're in a fool's paradise. You really think that? I've spent most of my life dodging the shrapnel for my mother's marriages, both of which started with smiles as big as theirs. Well, some marriages work out. Yes, and some people have six fingers. So I'm guessing you're single. Well, I decided to learn from my parents' mistakes. It's a form of evolution. Yeah, but you can't blame people for believing their own lives will be different. Yes, I can. It's incredibly egotistical. It might help you to consider the idea that heartbreak is pointless, because if you had wound up with the person, eventually you would have been miserable anyway. Actually, that does help. Thank you. No problem. But don't you believe there's someone for everyone? Close. I believe that there's nobody for anyone. I remember that one. I didn't get around to it. I'll maybe have to backtrack on Destination Wedding. Eric, everyone's on bended knee. Number three. <laughs> My number three was Destination Wedding from uh, right. 2018. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling. <laughs> I, I love this. I watched it twice when it, when it just came out of nowhere. Jesus. It, it's so different. I, I hadn't seen anything like it. I probably will never see anything like it. It's just such a bizarre screenplay. The, the <laughs> volleying between her and Keanu Reeves is just so unusual and spunky and fun and different but you know uh and it was a fresh return because for a long time the great winona rider was in kind of these like really murky oddball weird roles that weren't really taking that much advantage of her qualities so when she came back with this it was like you know like reality bites type winona rider just the fun snarky sweet girl with the edge so yeah that's my number three as well awesome movie everyone should check out Wow. All right. So a lot of excitement for Destination Wedding. I've never seen it. I feel like uh, I'm on the outside. I wanted to claim myself as a legitimate Winona Ryder fan. I'm <laughs> no longer valid. However, my number three choice, it kind of hangs around in, in the period of the aughts. You know, the 2000s were a strange time for Winona because yeah. she's po post 90s, which was her huge decade. I mean, she was one of the it girls of Hollywood and blah, blah, blah in the 90s. And then 2000s, you know, she's not past her prime, but she's kind of, you know, she does deeds in 2002, and I don't know. You know <laughs> I saw it in the theater, but I'm not proud of that necessarily. Not a great role. Uh, I don't hate it. I don't hate it either, but it's not a great role. Certainly not a top three for me. She kind, kind of disappeared of, for a while after that, too. Right. Mm. So I'm going with the one where she kind of reappears a couple years later. I'm going with the scanner darkly. Now, this is Oof. one of those rotoscope films. So yeah. it's very different. It's a Richard Linklater film. Mm -hmm. And you don't actually get to see her for real. But it is her. She was acting. It was done. <laughs> uh, I got to be honest. Uh, this is full disclosure. Uh, there's a scene where she's having sex with Keanu Reeves. And she's nude and topless. And I'm like, I wonder, was that her real breast? Or were they just drawn on her? I'll never know the <laughs> truth. I'm, it's a... Deep fascination I have. It's just, be, I got to be honest about that. But, uh, Mr. Skin besides, strikes again. Yeah, right? So I wonder if it's on Mr. Skin. There it is. First it was hell, <laughs> then it's uh, rotoscope breast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So in the end, uh, I really like Scanner. I like her performance in it. She's like really kind of disconnected. She's on Substance D. She's not. It's very weird. It's very uh, out there. 
And I, I thought that it was a nice return performance and it stood out to me in 2007 when I saw it. I certainly hope that next time we do one of these that you're going to talk about some man's breasts. And oh, sure. They stand out. We'll talk about a guy's <laughs> dick, yeah. Talk about Stanley Tucci's tits. <laughs> How them Tucci tits doing? We talk about Bruce Willis's dick in Color of Night. So. <laughs> Harvey Keitel likes to hang, likes to hang dong, you know. Yeah, he, he does. Can. That's true. How about number two, Travis? <laughs> number two, um, so, yeah, there's a wide swath of movies from the 90s and, and 80s, you know, that I want to choose from. And I even went and I, and I sought out last night um, – Welcome home, Roxy Carmichael, which somehow I'd never even fucking heard of. Um, but um, what I'm going to name for my number two is what I consider one of the classic American movies, which is Edward Scissorhands. Her performance mm. in that is mm. um, it, it's it's one of those, it's a great movie and it's a great performance. It's it's um, she she does a lot with a little, I think, in that movie, you know. And she um, she's kind of forced into like, hey, you're like this angelic character that's really not developed that great. Um, but she, but she emotes a lot there and it kind of, it's a different kind of role for her cheerleader and, and all that. Like, and then she really does well. Fantastic. What about you, Eric? Number two. What I love about Winona Ryder is she's, she's always kind of reminded me of like, how did I describe it? I wrote it down somewhere, but I'll just wing it. She's kind of <laughs> like, if you imagine like Audrey Hepburn, but if she grew up like unpopular and like hung out with like the smokers and like the back of the school, you know, she's got this edge about her, but she's so like sweet and adorable, but she's got this dark edge. And I think that's what the, the big quality is that I like about her. Yeah. And, you know, uh, in 2010, she come she comes back after that weird string after the, uh, the court case that we all know about. And she's, she's got this kind of legal blemish on her. Okay. Um, and she's got kind of this stigma attached to her. Like, is she like, what's going on with this, this woman? And she comes in and does a small role in Black Swan for Darren Aronofsky. She plays the kind of the dying swan character, uh, the has-been ballet dancer who's, you know, put in the corner uh, once Nina comes along, uh, Natalie Portman. She's terrific in it, okay? She's just, she's just wrought with this anxious energy and mania that's just, you can't take your eyes off the screen. So, yeah, I think that's one of her best performances. Ooh, okay. I like that. A little, a little different. It wasn't where I thought you were going to go. So I love these picks, guys. My number two choice, I guess I'm going to have to go with uh, Reality Bites. You know, it's such a timeless I knew film. You would. Number two, not going to be number one. I, I love Reality Bites, although I never saw Reality Bites. Honestly, never saw it till many years after it was made. So I didn't oh, even wow. know the references of it in its era. I, I missed that. I really, yeah, I really didn't. Okay. I had not seen it till the 2000s. So I was like, what? Oh, what is this? Okay. And I love the film <laughs> now. It's definitely right up my alley. It flies by. It's so 90s. It's so yeah. post. <laughs> it does a good job of like, hey, I'm out of college and it's Gen X. It really is the like symbolic film for that generation. If, I don't like to use those types of languages yeah. very often, but it really is. It's just yeah. too easy. So she does a great job in this. She's depressed. She's excited. She's ambitious. She's, uh, you know, passive aggressive, all these things. She plays a lot of different areas in this character, in this film. And I really love her performance. Kudos to her. Reality Bites is, uh, you know, directed by Ben Stiller. It's crazy. It really holds mm -hmm. yeah. up well. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I, I always, um, I, yeah, I do feel like Reality Bites and singles are pretty representative of the early 90s, if I, oh, you know, yeah. if I may put my biased opinion out there. So my number one um, is definitely one I picked um, in part because it's a great, great underrated movie. Um, but, but her performance in it is really good, too. She's really torn and kind of like on the fence about things and um, you're just kind of watching her struggle with these life decisions as she interacts with a, just a, an array of fantastic actresses. Uh, Ellen Burstyn, uh, Anne Bancroft. There it is. Uh, How to Make an American Quilt is a really underrated film. It's a really beautiful movie. I, I, it's one that I liked a lot when I was growing up. and I went a long time without seeing until like maybe sometime in the past year. I watched it again. It was just the fucking waterworks, like the whole movie, you know? It's, like, it's, it's so good. It's so much better than I remembered. Um, so, yeah, wow. I strongly recommend How to Make an American Quilt. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, well, I didn't see that coming. Eric, people have to know. Number one Winona Ryder performance of all time. I want to thank Instagram uh, friend from the Crap Movie Club, who made me laugh because he uh, suggested... Uh, her stint on the 2017 SAG Awards while uh, Stranger Things won uh, like best drama, whatever, <laughs> uh, as like his favorite performance. And uh, yeah, that's pretty wild if you get a chance to watch it on YouTube. She is just uh, on a different planet uh, receiving <laughs> that award. Um, I think she know. had audio problems though, didn't she? Oh, oh it's, yeah, I don't know the story, but it's just fucking bizarre. It's like Jim Carrey in the mask or something. It's <laughs> just really weird. I want to give a shout out to her performance in Jarmusch's Night on Earth, where she plays this like cabbie who wants to be a mechanic and she's just smoking and popping gum the whole way through. It's just so bizarre. Uh, obviously, Heather's uh, is, is just unbelievable and doesn't get enough credit but i mean what it all boils down to is, for me is lydia deeds and Beatles. thank god i mean it had Someone to be had to said yeah. it had to be said now i'm a young boy in the in the early 80s and my first crush was leah thompson in back to the future and then i saw ali sheedy yeah. in short circuit too and i was like all right oh, this yeah. is a game changer <laughs> and then i saw beetlejuice and from then on to this very day Winona Ryder remains my uh, all-time most coveted uh, leading lady in, in Hollywood. But, uh, yeah, just such a fun, uh, whimsical, interesting performance that, you know, it's been over 30 years, and it's just it's, – it's unforgettable, okay? So, yeah, there you have it. Are you the guys hiding out in the attic? We're ghosts. Who do you look like under there? Aren't you scared? I'm not scared of sheets. Are you gross under there? Are you Night of the Living Dead under there? Like all bloody veins and pus? Night of the what? Living Dead, it's a movie. You know, if I had seen a ghost at your age, I would have been scared out of my wits. You're not gross. Why are you wearing sheets? We're practicing. You can see us without the sheets. Of course I can see you. Well, how is it that you see us and nobody else can? Well, I read through that handbook for the recently deceased. It says... Live people ignore the strange and unusual. I myself am strange and unusual. There it is, Beetlejuice coming out. I figured that would be the case. Uh, I'm surprised here. Uh, on the number one, I I was going to go with Heather's because that was what I had planned all along because she's, she changed my life when I saw that movie. I was like, first of all, <laughs> who are you? And like, what is this movie? And, you know, her yeah. role... 
her role keeps the movie grounded in even because it's wildly satirical and crazy at times but mm-hmm. what she does is like she kind of keeps you able to buy into it for some reason even though it's off the wall her performance yeah. is the glue of the whole film and that's why she deserves a lot of credit and at the same time as you know beetlejuice and all this she just blew all this out at once and came onto the scene with, and that was a great film but a just as good performance even if it's like understated it's sassy it's uh she's trying to fit in different roles and cliques and experiences you, you almost don't realize that she's supposed to be a high schooler and she is young then too but she seems so mature it's kind of weird yeah yeah that's what i'm going with hi i'm sorry technically i did not kill heather chandler but hey who am i trying to kid right i just want my high school to be a nice place wanted to throw out the honorable mention of uh show me a hero which was an hbo miniseries about five years ago yeah, about that. Uh, it starred uh, oscar isaac as uh, Nick Wasisco, it's a true life story about Yonkers and uh, segregation and stuff. She plays like a, a supporting role. It's not that great, so I can't put it in the <laughs> top three. But I do All want right. anytime I get a chance to mention "Show Me a Hero," I want to be able to throw that out there. Check it out. Right on. I do think that uh, it's kind of bullshit trash the way that so many people kind of turned on her with the whole shoplifting thing. Like big fucking deal. Like 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 I don't even think I don't even think that honestly affected her roles. I think they use it as an excuse. Because really, she was just kind of starting to, you know, be in her, like, in her thirties or like late twenties, which is a kind of a problematic time, unfortunately, for female actors. So, I think that I think she kind of got hosed, and I'm glad that she's come back with a vengeance. Oh, for sure. I mean, I remember that whole media circus, and like knowing like her her childhood, she she grew up in like a like a multifamily commune, and she struggled with anxiety and depression and and like aquaphobia of all things. For many years and yeah. people do weird things when they are under duress and exhaustion so yeah it just broke my heart to see how the media kind of just turned on her for the sake of uh scandal back in the day isn't her name uh horowitz Is it that's right yeah. horowitz? No, that's right horowitz. you got it you got it well winona we salute you you're a fine actress you've had a hell of a career some memorable roles that will last forever on celluloid hey why do I keep doing that today? I have no idea what's wrong with me. <laughs> fucking throw something at me next time I do that. Hey, all right. <laughs> so this is the Cinema 9 Podcast. Don't forget, hit us up. Do you like Winona Ryder? Did we miss a movie and you can't believe that there's a role that was not discussed in great detail? Are you bad? There, Please sorry. write us. Cinema 9 Pod at ProtonMail.com. Cinema 9 Pod, numerical number 9 pod at ProtonMail.com. And of course, we're always on Instagram. We got reviews every day. We're doing uh, movie versaries. You know what came out this week, guys? Anything uh, that you recall that was like, oh wow, it's been a long time. <laughs> um, no, the uh, what, let's see. What was today? Today was uh, yesterday was Wolf. Today was oh. Last Action Hero. Last oh, Action. La- Hero. I love Last Action Hero. It's a yeah. good movie. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's, it's fun to it's fun to hunt them down and, and talk about them. We, we and we you know when we do our quarantine picks too, we always. Uh, skirt over some of the ones that we might do a deeper review of other movies on. So make sure you're following the Instagram there for, for deeper reviews as well, if you're into it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well said. Well, gentlemen, it's time. It's the main event, the main course. We're going to find out if it holds up or not. Does it hold up? Oh boy. 1995, John Carpenter flick, In the Mouth of Madness. I'm not going anywhere. I'm gone now, you understand? 
Kurt's not supposed to be a hack or a writer. But maybe I can help you believe. Look around when you wake up. Did I ever tell you my favorite color was blue? This is not this reality. Is not this is something. I'll tell you what. It's <laughs> it's a highly um seems to be highly respected. You know, it's got a seven point two on IMDb, which is yeah. always, that's above the seven range. That's always good. That's a good movie. And on Rotten Tomatoes, fifty nine percent for the critics, seventy three percent for the audience. So a little bit of a discrepancy between the crowd and the know it alls. Travis, <laughs> Travis, you chose this film. So can you tell us why you chose this film and what it means to you? I mean, just as I'm obviously you're a big fan of it, I assume. Yeah, I, I'm definitely a big fan of it. I've, I have good memories of it. Um, so, like, I remember when I saw the thing, I was like plopped down in front of a TV, like there was company over, and like my older brother, I'm guessing, picked a movie for me to watch. And I was like six years old, like here, watch the thing and be fucking starred for life. And, um, <laughs> and so, like, I didn't watch the thing again until my 20s, and and loved it. Um, and but there really hadn't been a lot of other John Carpenter movies that I had seen, and I love him now, mm. but like. Um, but I hadn't seen a lot of his stuff, to be honest, um, except for when I was 15, me and my cousin, rent, I was staying at my cousin's house and we rented In the Mouth of Madness on VHS. I remember watching that in the, <clears throat> in the middle of the day. His mom was like making dinner in the kitchen while we were doing it. And we were just like scared to fucking pieces. Like as we watched <laughs> this movie, we were terrified. Uh, and, and it's one that I've definitely, I hadn't watched in a long time had been kind of building up to and wanting to watch again which is partly why i pushed for it to be our, our choice here so uh, it was fun to revisit it and uh yeah it's a hell of a weird little movie eric you got a lot of experience with this film or has it been a while i credit my older brother marty uh for introducing me to this now, some of my favorite memories as a kid were marty would come home from from work and bring home like box vhs uh, horror movies from the Meyer video store in Brighton, Michigan. And we both stay up till like three in the morning watching these, every single horror movie that came out. And when, and when this hit shelves and he brought it home, I tell you, I w it made a huge impression on me because it was so different. I wasn't used to seeing horror movies that dealt with like the possibility of losing your sanity and to this day, that's like a concept that really just kind of scares me. So I think for that element alone, it's one of the uh, milestones in, in 20th century horror. Well, that is not something that I would take lightly. Very impressive, Eric. Wow. You know, some of the critics had mixed reviews on this one. Going back in time, uh, the legendary Roger Ebert, rest in power, uh, one wonders how in the mouth of madness might have turned out if the script had contained even a little more wit and ambition. Wow. Two out of Jesus. four stars. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an unfair review. I think. Okay. Yeah. The first, the first 15 minutes is straight up funny. It's like, it's, there's there's some kind of this movie. Yeah. I, I don't get that. Interesting. Even, well, even the delivery, hell no. From the, from the innkeeper lady. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's funny as fuck. All right. Keep going. Wow. Okay. Well, well, we can't argue with Roger. He's not coming back. But Destin Thompson from the Washington Post says, uninvolving, abysmally scripted horror picture. <laughs> so, and then one more from uh, well, Mick LaSalle. Yeah, Mick Sounds LaSalle. Sounds like not a horror fan. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Mick LaSalle from the San Francisco Chronicle says, it's cheesy horror celebrating the power of cheesy horror while pretending to be appalled. One out of four stars. Now, what? 
Just to give you guys a positive review, let's go from the LA Times. Kevin Thomas says, this is a thinking person's horror picture that dares to be as cerebral as it is visceral. There we go. I'm sorry, but if if your name's Mick, you got no clout. I mean, who the fuck's name is Mick? (laughs) Well, if anybody out there is listening to this and their name Mick, it's yeah, Mick Dundee was a legend. Oh, that's a (laughs) nod. That guy, that critic sucks. Well, there is some mixed reviews on this one. I mean, there's other good and bad. So in the end, it's it's generally a lesser enjoyable picture for critics based on the research I've seen, which is you know just going online and googling. But my my initial response to this film was it was just not for me. Eric was <laughs> Eric was totally right about this. You think he said last week that I was going to hate it? Yeah, and, I, I, th- I thought you'd hate it too. It's not. It's just not my style, man. I'm just. There was a lot of dreams. There was a lot of like, is this really happening? Is this not happening? They're trying to mess with me, and I just don't buy into the like, oh, shit, is this real now? Is this? I'm just like making fun of it, and I feel bad because I love John Carpenter. I really do love his work. A lot of stuff I've enjoyed. However, if you're talking about The Thing, you know, The Thing is just... It's a superior movie. I mean, it's, it's yeah. one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, it's maybe it's not a fair comparison, but if it is the same director. It's got a better cast, and the story is a little more gripping to me. I don't, I don't know. This one's like, it's like all over the place. And there's like, oh, there's crazy <laughs> shit happening. And you got yeah, the guy from, uh, yeah, you got the guy from The Secret of the Ooze who's like, oh, I'm going to see what's going on with this guy. And, and then you got, the guy from, <laughs> you got the guy from Scrooge who's like the annoying guy. Who's John, the John Glover. John yeah. Glover. Oh, yeah. So Daniel weird. Clamp. Clamp Industries. That's one of the things I really like about this movie is that there, there's a firm collection of, of strong B actors. You know, like these, I'll give you like, that. Like, like they're they just they're all popping. They're like kind of like horror and sci-fi classic actors. And you and come on, we get Charlie Heston just rolls in there for a weekend shoot. Like, what the fuck am I doing in this movie? <laughs> but here I am. I can read these lines. Yeah, um, well, this is the <laughs> mid '90s when he was doing his True Lies. Like, yeah, hey, I'm just gonna be a pay me a lot of money to do like you know five yeah, a week a week's worth of work. Right. Yeah, he's the mogul of the publishing company. He's never read one of the, the their <laughs> most prized authors' books. This is like horror. Like horror. All right. Stupid. So, so what is this movie then, Eric and Travis? Is this movie saying like, oh, you know what? We don't really know what's real and what's not real. The power of fantasy, it could be just as powerful as the Bible. Is it, a, is it a take on religion? Is it a take on the power of fantasy realm and how people get into it? Uh, I mean, how do, you get, how do you see this, Travis? You've seen this movie plenty of times. I've seen this movie plenty of times. Um, watching it last night, I definitely, uh, you know, for the podcast, I approached it with a lot more critical, critical of an eye. You know, mm-hmm. I, one of the things I tout about horror uh, is about, you know, the, 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 the critiques it can give, the insights it can give about our society and that kind of stuff. And I hadn't really mm-hmm. approached this movie for that. This movie I had largely just approached because it's fucking scary and weird. Today is Mommy's <laughs> Day. You know, like, it's just fucking weird. <laughs> you know, so... Um, so so I, it was mostly more of an adventure, like a fun kind of ride. It's, it's thinking more deeply about it, it's definitely saying a lot about, um, you know, the power of belief and religion and, you know, what happens when people mix, you know, and I think it's kind of relevant for the times when people struggle to discern, you know, fiction from reality uh, and, and they're really credible about what they're reading and what they're, and what they're taking in to the point that they become religious about it. It made, it made me think not just about like partisanship, but about fandom, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it, like it just made, like people take things, they, they turn it into a religion. And that's one of the, that's one of the, that's one of the lessons of the movie. I think is that like, be careful of what you make a religion, 
And, uh, and so there is a, a deeper uh, element, a deeper story here going on, which I really did like. Um, I, I, the only um, complaint, I, no, I'm mean not complaint. Like I, if I had been more familiar with H.P. Lovecraft as a kid, I would have probably had different feelings about this movie because being completely unfamiliar with Lovecraft, but a huge Stephen King fan, um, like I thought this movie was so original, but you know, now I do kind of wonder like, is it, is it an homage or is it derivative? Because they talk about King in the movie, but they can't, they can't name check Lovecraft. I mean, come on. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> What about you, Eric? How do you see this film? Is is it strike you in a deeper way, or is it just a fun romp? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the characters—I forget who it is—during the film asks if you know when does fiction become dangerous. So that's kind of an interesting thought. And uh, if you look at someone like L. Ron Hubbard, I mean, I think there's a lot yeah. to examine there in terms of how something like Dianetics can be this this book mm. that's you know apropos of science fiction, but it creates this entire movement of people that, that believe in this, this, um, you know, foundation of reality. So that absolutely directly uh, is an influence on this. Um, in, in my opinion, you know, Mike DeLuca, he was like this big mogul for New Line Cinema. He wrote this back in the 80s. And it was basically for him, it was a way to, I think one day he was walking down the street in New York, and he saw just this this just a uh, huge um, mob of, of homeless people, you know, these denizens in the city that really scared him. And he thought to himself, well, what if all these people decided to like rise up and like take back the city? And, and he, he got to writing this and, hmm. you know, it got, it got me really interested in, in topics like social media. Uh, you think about a lot of people nowadays who, you know, almost replace their ex external realities with these virtual ones. And I think that comes into play here and like, you know, consummation of the, the consumer itself. So yeah, yeah, I think there's some, there's some themes there, but just like Travis said, it's fucking weird and gory and there's cool monsters in it. So I wouldn't look <laughs> that hard because I don't think the movie takes itself as, as seriously as some of these possible broader themes. It's just yeah. fun. It is. It's a lot of fun, you know. I really like your comparison. Scientology is much more apropos than any other religion to me, if we're going to call yeah. it that. I don't oh, call oh, it sure. that, but that, that is really, re you're right, because it was just created more in a recent time off his writings, and people really get into that, and look what happens. How do I know that someone's not controlling me right now? How did I know I decided mm. to do this podcast for my own free will? Or did someone write my story? You know, what if I chose not <laughs> to do it? Did they write that I chose not to do it? I mean, it, this movie does try to mess with your head in that way. And I do enjoy that psychological angle of it. It's also wildly, it, it gives us a, a time capsule, 1995 mental health mm. still had some ways to go. I mean, like padded room, straight jacket, you know, insane, that was yeah. only 25 years ago. And that's all, that's how some of that was. That was not like, an, it's a little exaggerated, but it's still, it was yeah. there. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's, I don't, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily fool ourselves into thinking it's grossly improved either. I mean, that kind yeah. of stuff do, does still go on. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely, it definitely feels a bit uh, mid nineties, but you know what I find fascinating about it? It was, it was filmed in August to October, 1993. So Sam Neill had done a couple other movies, you know, he'd filmed a couple movies after 
uh, Jurassic Park, but like Jurassic Park mm-hmm. was dominating the, the mm-hmm. box office in a way that few movies ever had. And it must have been so surreal to be like, hey, I'm one of the, suddenly <laughs> one of the most famous guys in America for this summer, and I'm doing this fucking like, I'm playing with this rubber puppet. Like, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's funny to think about. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Sam I mean, Neill is, go ahead. Well, he's no stranger to horror. I mean, he put, remember no. he played Damien in The Omen 3, which I think is kind of an underrated horror sequel. And then, of course, Event Horizon, he'll be back a few years later. And that's, oh, God. that's really fucking weird. Yeah, it's, it's uh, <laughs> Sam Neill's, yeah, I love Sam Neill's work. I'm always down. Uh, I love the movie a couple years ago. He was in The Hunt for the Wilder People. That was a great yeah. film. Uh, also, I never really been that familiar with Julie Carmen's work, who played Styles. Uh, it's funny to me. I couldn't let it go the whole movie. So Jurgen Prock now plays uh, Sutter <laughs> Kane. Sutter yes. Kane. And Sutter I kept Kane. thinking of Foster Kane, Kane and Kane oh. from RoboCop 2. I was like, Kane was where really big. Where is Kane? Yeah, where is Kane? Where is Kane? <laughs> Cypher Kane, I think. Is an, yeah, like See? Cypher and Cypher's Kane. Kane. Like, Kane is like the most overused virus the virus. Name in world history like it's yeah it's, it's so true it is uh, but you know he does a good job and, you know like you said david warner john glover bernie casey from revenge of the nerds i always think of him first yeah. when i think wilhelm of von hamburg pops in there it is this way. there it is you're right vigo vigo there it vigo. is yeah, vigo the carpathian blows in i kept thinking like oh it's that guy and it's that guy yeah there's a lot of that guy like you said there is an excellent <laughs> solid like character actor b movie star type quality to all the roles in this film (laughs) so yeah i but in the end i don't like horror and i don't know if people know this enough about me so i want this to be clear it's not because this Mm. movie is bad although it could be it's kind of a jumbled mess at times if you like suspense and horror and you like being like scared out of your seat this is a great movie for that 100 percent, no doubt about it but i just i don't get into the horror genre i never have (laughs) and I never will. I don't think I, I, I'm just too much of like a realist, even though I can like watch fantastical films for some reason, I just don't get into horrors and thrillers. I do love the thing. That was a great film, but you know, there's a few exceptions, but that's just it's, where I'm at. It's funny too, because especially if any listeners are coming to us from Instagram, like our Instagram is just like all horror. Cause it's mostly me. There. <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah. So it's like horror, 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 sci-fi. Horror, horror. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, that's what we like and uh we'll, we'll we'll bring it into the you know today we picked our own uh, you know we, we're each this we're gonna do a rotation where we each pick the movie so i was happy to pick a horror movie guess what when it's my turn again i'm probably pick another one like i'm sorry you're gonna, you're gonna <laughs> no, watch more horror movies i'll watch it i'll and i will if it's actually good then i will say it's good i'm not gonna assume it's bad but all right so this was an awesome time for horror though because I think the year before this, we had another one of my favorite horror films from the 90s, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which which is also kind of a meta fucking horror movie that I had never seen anything like that where the movie references the movie itself. This does the same thing. Obviously, Scream would do the the same thing in 1996, but I love that stuff. Yeah, Last Action Hero, you're right. Yeah, I love that. Well, who doesn't? I mean, if you like this movie and you've seen it, I assume you're listening to the podcast, so you probably watched it recently, or you're just diving in because you're crazy and you're a wild card. But let us know. Hit us up, cinema9pod at protonmail.com, and get on Instagram. Send us a picture of yourself watching this film, like, as it's happening. We would love, like, space balls, you know? Like, do something like that. Send us something fun. We'd love to see you on Instagram, cinema9pod. And we're on Twitter and all the other social medias where I waste my time and we all waste good time. 
So this is a film that I just think it's, if you talk about the layout of it, it just gets kind of messy. It's like this guy, it does the old kind of bit where you're, oh, hey, I'm locked up and now we're going to go back and tell the story type thing. And I, that's kind of played <laughs> out to me. I, I don't know if I like that style of storytelling, but they really dove into it because it's David Warner and Sam Neill. There's no like, um, it's kind of odd. We did Villanelle Sky last week, which has the same setup in a sense yeah. with Kurt Russell <laughs> and Tom Cruise talking about, so what happened? Let's go back. But the only difference is there's I no pop-ins. I have two daughters. What are their names? You know that. <laughs> but what, there's no pop-ins in this film. Like it just goes back, tells the whole story, and then comes back. And I actually like that part. I will say that. You know, it borrows heavily from Lovecraft, which Lovecraft, which is what we said. And and a lot of his stories will start with this man who used to be completely normal, having gone insane yeah. by these unholy abominations that he's seen. So it definitely follows that Lovecraft yeah. pattern. Yeah, I mean that's that's classic. I mean the the whole recurring theme or whatever motif of the of the peeling poster and Trent goes to peel it back and look to see what's behind it. Like that's that's it, man. Like he's, you're looking behind mm-hmm. the veil, and that's Lovecraft. Like the whole like when he's looking through that hole when like when Jurgen Prochnow like you know lifts his own <laughs> face open and like that whole and like the the tumbling abyss upwards. Like that's just so fucking love. Because I didn't, like again I didn't read Lovecraft when I was a kid and when I saw this movie when I was like thirty or so I read all the Lovecraft. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Why I like this movie so much. <laughs> but I also really like that this movie. You know, this is part of what Carpenter calls his apocalypse trilogy, which was mm-hmm. the thing, uh, the th- the thing, Prince of Darkness, which I watched recently fucking loved and and this and this is this is one way to do an apocalypse movie man like to have the apocalypse be uh the old gods <laughs> um, that's 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 new and to have it be like it's not even like you, we're not even getting the apocalypse itself we're getting like the harbinger of the apocalypse we're getting we're getting the the, the, the man who delivers the apocalypse and and it's also and it's all completely unnecessary because at the end of the day uh Sutter Kane mails the fucking thing from Hobbs End into the reality anyways um, so he didn't, even, he didn't even need Trent but he's a storyteller so he like wants to like so even if he's ending everything it's like it, it's it has to be this way and even and, and and all this bit about free will and like Sutter Kane says that he's God now but also he says they're writing me but they're making me do this the old one so mm. even he doesn't have free will there's a, I feel like there's a lot going on it's, it's <laughs> so so do you think that that's the case then he's in control of all this or he's just being controlled but everyone's being controlled by someone else there's a hierarchy here I think, yeah, I think that the old guys are just coming back. <laughs> Great, <laughs> in this, okay. Yeah. In this movie. I will say the, you know, obviously this is a spoiler alert, but the ending is kind of surprising. I was surprised the movie ended when it did. I'm like, oh, that's it? Oh, okay. Wow. It's, it's just, <laughs> well, it yeah, well, but the, the significance of it is, is a lot. He's the last, you know, uh, Styles says at one point, she's like, you know, how lonely would it be to be the last one? And, and he be, ends up being like the last person who hasn't gone insane from this movie or book yet. So he voluntarily goes into it. Samuel does that great, like, laugh into, into like, tortured cry thing that we, that, uh, you know, that, that Joaquin did so well. Um, it's, I, I think it's, I think it's priceless. <laughs> I mean, I love that ending. I mean, John Carpenter, doesn't get enough credit for for making really lean purposeful pictures uh like this is like 95 minutes and even halloween is like maybe 90 minutes 
And every scene matters in, in all, you know, 18 or so films that he makes. And I really miss those kind of like shorter horror movies. Nowadays they're like two hours and 40 minutes of like grief for like three straight hours. But uh, yeah. yeah, Carpenter used to be really good at these kind of minimal, low budget, but engaging tales. Uh, so I, I miss him as a filmmaker for sure. Oh yeah. John Carpenter certainly deserves more credit than maybe he's ever gotten. I have no bones about that whatsoever but in the end you know i made my point clear on this i don't know what else i can say i i <laughs> i love a lot of the characters in this film but you know the the madness on main street he's like when things start to go off the rails and he's like she swallows the keys and oh, then, and then he does so the thing where, yeah he starts really? the car with the screwdriver that really pissed me off i don't know why that made me so upset but i'm like come on the start the scru- this guy doesn't know how to down. <laughs> you can't do that I don't know why that bothered me. (laughs) I wrote down, like, I I tried to write down each time, like, I was legitimately scared, even as a 39-year-old man. And I came up with, like, 10 to 12. I I, I was wondering while watching, I'm like, is Mike going to be scared of this, like, at all, even for, like, five (laughs) seconds? Because I know your relationship with horror. It just, you know it's not real, so you don't fucking care. But did any of this stuff get you? Come on. I don't think so. I, I, I actually would like fast forward. Like I was skipping ahead certain parts. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, here's all this. Yep. Here's all this. And it's nothing personal against this movie. Like I said, I just didn't, I'm like, Oh, I, the only thing I thought for a second was, you know, what's behind the door when he's like, I can't hold them back much longer, you know, and he <laughs> opens his face up and you know, then there's like a, a wall that's a book and you know that was kind of interesting so wait so when styles is behind the door and like there's all those fucking tentacles flying around all over the place and, like, and he gets yeah. blown that did, out that did, that did nothing for you <laughs> no it didn't i'm like okay you got yeah there's the warming things what's gonna happen i'm like oh well, what will happen and then he kind of just gets like blown out the door there and then runs away yeah that's i don't know when when mrs pickman is chopping yeah. off her own tentacles with an okay. axe. That's, yeah. that's pretty fucking freaky. She was that was I give her a little credit. That was a little scary. She kind of freaked they kind of freaked me out when he came downstairs to leave the the little B and B and she was just sitting there with like all dead faced and dark faced. Yeah. It was weird. That was like, yeah. oh this is that was uncomfortable. I'll and how about and, and Wilhelm von Amberg like putting the shock <laughs> under his under his neck saying I can't help it. He wrote me this way. I always find that part terrifying. It's I weird. Think, like, like I, he like sorry. Like this is what's happening now. I have no free will. That's a good uh, line. Our, mutu- our mutual yeah. friend Jim, the great Jim Takis. I remember distinctively one day asking him, you know, Jim, what's the scariest thing you've ever seen in a horror movie? And he took probably a good thirty seconds and finally said, that thing at the end of In the Mouth of Madness. So just that <laughs> fucking freight train of horror coming at John Trent is still pretty creepy to me. Yeah, well, no argument here. That was pretty weird and un- unnerving. Oh, definitely say and, that. And to this very day, if I'm driving down the street in the middle of the night and I see someone on a bike, I fucking get the goosebumps. <laughs> I get scared. And to this very day, when I wake up and the whole world is blue, I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, you're wearing blue blockers. Was he dreaming? What was the dream there? He wakes up. Oh, you're dreaming. Wake up. Oh, are you dreaming now? I, I actually, I, I love that moment too, but, but I, I did laugh every time those, they, you know, with this viewing, so I'm like, oh yeah, Mike's going to hate that. Dream <laughs> <laughs> sequence moment. Um, but you know, I, I will say this. I mean, like, it's really satisfying to watch John Carpenter because John Carpenter's career just, just took so many unnecessary, unfair hits. You know, this, yeah. this was, yeah. a, this was a flop. 
memoirs of invisible man was a flop like so much of what he did was like a big bomb and like and mm-hmm. people just kind of like stopped trusting him to make good movies and um mostly the thing but but other movies as well the fog um people are, are and of course halloween uh, we probably should mention that movie too um people are really i think starting to come around the last few years and and i i hear you know i feel like he's gonna die and everyone's gonna be like oh john carpenter he was yeah what a great legend what a what a uh, renegade icon you know wasn't appreciated in his time it's like motherfuckers appreciate him now put put this man up on the oscars or you know give this man more you know i don't know i don't think he's monster work anymore from from what i understand but um all the same it's uh he's a he's an american treasure Look what he did with this. I mean, this is an $8 million movie. I mean, even for its time, that was, yeah. you know, you, could, you can't make a, a, like a, a lifetime movie nowadays for $8 million. <laughs> well, this is the Waterworld era, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the cinematography is, is gorgeous and rich, and, those, you know, those blacks are black. They don't do that nowadays with digital photography, but those blacks are fucking black. And uh, it just looks good. The effects are from ILM. You got Greg Nicotero and Kurtzman, two of the, the big monster makers. Yeah, you know, good practical effects. Baker. So it's, it's awesome. Yeah, the effects are rock solid. No, no argument there. For 1995, it's pretty good. I have no bones. Styles I got flipped no over. Bones. Styles yeah. head reversed. Like, that's terrifying. For <laughs> me, I think probably the weakest part of the film is probably Julia Carmen. Not so much in the second part oh, where yeah. you know, she's supposed to be out of it, but she's the, not a good the character, I mean, She's so boring that they, they, I don't know if it was her or if it was Carpenter that's just like, well, just like be sexy all the time, I guess, because we don't have anything else for you to do. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, she's, I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen anything else. I shouldn't say she's a bad actor because maybe she's great and other stuff, but yeah, she's, she's definitely the weakest part of the movie, in my opinion, as well. Oh, wow. And you know, this is the film debut of Hayden Christensen, guys. Yeah, I saw was that. Was he in Paperboy. Yeah, the Paperboy. No shit, I didn't even realize it was him. Yeah. At the, yeah. at the end. The end of the, or the or the or the fucking yeah. freaky scary paper not the weird paper? one the, the one the on end. the dirt road there or when he comes out yeah. of the crazy the, the one who had never heard of hobbs end got it yeah yeah <laughs> that was him so no shit that's huh. the highlight of this film for me <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> just kidding um, yeah, yeah. Uh, also the map like when he fucking figures out like we're hobbs end based on the map i'm like this yeah. is really stupid i'm not even gonna rewind <laughs> it to get the logic behind this because i don't care it's just dumb that I never really noticed until last night watching. I'm like, I'm like, what? One, how are you the first person to see this? It's seeable. <laughs> yeah, I also think they're trying to mess with me, too. But because again, like, hang up, just to make finish my point real quick. But if, if anything feels convenient, we can always just say, "Well, Sutter Crane wrote it that way." Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you, you were, you were going to say, write yourself yeah, on the right. corner. It, it seems like he's making fun of himself, or he's trying to beat the skeptics to the punch by making Sam Neill such a skeptic in himself as the you know, yeah. insurance investigator. Everything's a con. I don't buy this. Oh, this is happening right before your eyes and you still don't believe it, you know? And <laughs> that's who I kept thinking of myself every time he kept saying things like that. I'm like, oh, yep, I'm the guy who thinks this is a bunch of crap. <laughs> and so I will give him credit in the script. DeLuca gets credit and the, you know, Carpenter, they oh, both yeah. get credit for forming the story to make me think of like, oh, man, yeah, I'm like this guy. Maybe this is better than i realized or maybe there's something more going on here that i'm missing so it ha- it has depth to it that i think it deserves credit for i'll tell you this i mean and and then i'm i'm, I'm good but i i would be curious if you if you happen to think about this movie you just watched it like today right or, or last mm-hmm. night or something so um yeah if if it creeps around in your head if it sticks with you i'd be curious to if you think about it more if it's if it's if it's done and gone then, then whatever 
but if, it, if but I think it might be one of those ones you might find yourself thinking about. Fair enough. Yeah, I just watched it like two hours ago. So, <laughs> so it's still Down fresh. The wire. <laughs> so in the end, guys, does this movie hold up? Is the bottom line is yeah, this is a solid horror film from the '90s. Is that how uh, you guys see it? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's a solid horror film from the, from the '90s. It's um, Eric asked on the on the Instagram recently about you know our favorite um, Carpenter films, and and it's still my favorite Carpenter film tied, I guess, with the thing. I mean, like I said, the thing is a better movie. Um, I acknowledge that the fog might be a better movie. Prince of Darkness might be a better movie, but mm. um, well, I don't know. But in the mouth of man is uh, is a personal favorite for me, and um, and I still think it's just so fucking. It's I think it still scares me. It's still scary and weird and unsettling. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it dozens of times. So that's something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Carpenter. Carpenter creates such an eerie atmosphere. He tosses in some of his, you know, anti-authoritarianism that he's he's he was used to doing in the eighties, yeah. uh, and it's just a it's a slick, scary movie. I don't think Sam Neill gets enough credit as an actor. I forgot to mention that because huh. he's he's you know he reminds me of kind of like um, William Holden and something like Sunset Boulevard. He's suave, but he's kind of a little bit distant from the proceedings at first. Like, this is a fucking joke while he's smoking his cigarette. And then, like, when he's scared, it's it's legitimately scary. Like, you feel you're scared for him, and that's not easy to do. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. What? But yeah, the studio took a chance on this fucking weird screenplay and not they don't really do that anymore. So I give it kudos for for 90s horror. Yeah, I didn't love it, obviously, but it definitely holds up because it makes you think uh, the message is still very relevant to anything today. Like you said earlier, Travis, with the fandom and what I was trying to allude to with the cosplaying and how much fantasy and comic books and all this stuff has become a huge part of people's lives. And where is the line? So well, I'm not I, that worried about that. But well, I, I see it. I, I see the same thing. Like, hey, we're getting so invested in stuff. How do we know what's real anymore? And I feel like he's trying to make a point for all things, with the Scientology point being like the ideal comparison. So it does hold up. This movie holds up. I will say yeah. that. All right. Good. That's good. That's what I was. That's what I was hoping to hear you say. Gotta, gotta tell it like it is. That's what you get here on the Cinnamon Nine Pod. No bullshit. I thought we were gonna have a Travis Dick Tracy situation on our. I, d- I did too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did too. I can't believe we still did that movie. Wow, that really happened. Um, so yeah, uh, did you watch this film? Please let us know. Cinnamon Nine Pod at protonmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Do you like it? Do you loathe it? Will you never watch it? Are you anti-pro John Carpenter? A lot of ways to check in. And we love to hear from you. Please check in. So, hey, let's talk Oscar snubs. We had a, was it an email or what did we get? We got a friend of the show who uh, popped in. What's the story? Rex message. Well, yeah, one of the, one of the, uh, our great friends, Chris, he contacted the show. Specifically, he wanted to narrow it down to 1990 to 2019. So he wanted to ask us, you know, about Oscar snubs. So 
we, you know, we can take our pick if it's, you know, films that weren't even nominated or films that were nominated but didn't win. Have at it. You know how we feel about this, uh, <laughs> this award program. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole thing we could discuss, too. The Oscars in themselves are kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm bloated. I'm not with you guys. I still like the Oscars. I'm, I'm afraid oh! I'm ashamed almost to say. Like you guys are both bashing it in other conversations. But I'll just tell them on the cast. <laughs> I'm, st- I'm still pro Oscars. I'm sorry. I know it's. I know they're not as cool as they used to be. I know that they that they make all kinds of bungles, and I know that they're inaccurate as fuck half the time. But I still I still just enjoy the process, and I still <laughs> I I enjoy you know I just enjoy it. Um, and and I still think they mean something. Like if you're if you win the Academy Award, still it's a big deal. Well, a lot of that's hard to argue. I will give you your due on that. Yeah, the, I do kind of check in. I always know who wins and all that stuff. So that is a part of like my routine every year. No argument on that. But I don't like watching the show. Uh, I don't like the organization itself. Mm. That's my yeah. big beef. And, the, and there's a lot of reasons why. Obviously, you know, the, uh, the you know, black people are underrepresented and yeah. women directors. You know, everybody that's- gets underrepresented because white males are still assholes all the time. So that's just a part of society, too. But beyond that, they just aren't in touch with, like, good movies. And they try to pander. And then they over pander. And then it's shit. I, it's just a mess. Yeah, but it's a bellwether for the rest of society in a way, too, though. Like, I mean, like, to, when we see that representation is starting to matter more in a, at, the, at, the, at the Academy, it, that starts to pick up you know, a year or two later in some of the rest of the, the, the country. I mean, I don't know. Um, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little biased. I've, I've watched pretty much every Oscars uh, ever. I don't think I've missed any of them, but um, so in terms of uh, Chris's question, I, uh, I did a little scraping because I didn't necessarily have a bunch of stuff off the top of my head. So this, this actually um, took a lot more research than I was prepared for. So I, I only looked at a few, few years. Uh, and I will say the first one that stuck out to me was like 1995 heat wasn't nominated for a ding dang thing man not a single thing not best actor not best supporting actor not best cinematography not a fucking thing and uh you know who gives a shit about any other movie that came out in 1995 (laughs) (laughs) i i i I could check i mean i'm not sure off the top of my head what what was there but i felt like heat was quite the uh was quite the contender and got Yeah, that was Braveheart's big year, but but yeah. you're right. Yeah, Forrest Gump, yeah. trash. That's that's total trash. I'm totally with you on that, man. He got screwed. But I know Eric. Do you love uh, the Oscars, or are you kind of not feeling it? I mean, you're talking to somebody who plans their Oscar party like two months in advance. You know, wow. my, my problem my problems are you can you can buy your Oscar, all right, by campaigning exactly. and it's studio bullshit, yeah. this and that. Yeah. I get that. I'm willing to live with it, but art. Art is subjective. I mean, to, to, to say who, who did the best job and give them a trophy is, it's ludicrous concept, but it's fun. You know, I like to see movie stars. It, you know, it's fun to, to watch that. And, I, and I, I never miss it. But yeah, it's just a big fucking gift bag and, and, <laughs> and campaigning nonsense. But yeah, I came up with a, with a few picks for sure. One of mine was uh, a film that came out in 2005 and when I walked out of the theater, I was like, well, there you have it. It's early in the season, but best directors go into Alfonso Cuaron for Children and Men. Mm. This is one of the best directed films I've ever seen in my entire life. Wasn't even nominated. Mm. Oh, wow. Trash. Wow. That is not acceptable. I have to go back to 1990. Do the right thing. 
um, was totally okay. it. It wasn't even nominated for best picture. It got some yeah. uh, uh, nominations for Danny Aiello, I think, and right. I don't know if yep. maybe, did he win. I can't remember, but Driving no, Miss Daisy. Won, yeah. Okay, Joe Pesci won. Okay, Driving Miss Daisy won that year. So end of story. No way. Do the right thing. Infinitely holds up and is a much better film in the long run. So that's a classic biff. <laughs> so, sounds like a biff and a whiff. Um, <laughs> I, for me, um, you know, I think classic movies, especially like big cast and that kind of stuff, Glenn Gary, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is fucking amazing. I mean, there's so yeah. much that could have, could have, could have gone that way. And, and instead that year, everyone was talking about Howard's end. You ever seen Howard's <laughs> end? I haven't fucking seen Howard's end. I'm probably not going to see Howard's end. <laughs> <laughs> no, offense, no offense to Merchant Ivory folks out there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is <laughs> fucking great. The movie. piano. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, you know, Groundhog's Day? Do you think guys, Groundhog's Day deserve to be nominated? Or is that just a comedy? <laughs> it, That's a good question. I, I think about that actually quite often because i yes. think it's gone down it's like standing shoulder to shoulder with like faint yeah. films like it's a yes. wonderful life really and, right. and that in and, and that vein i think yeah. today something like that especially with like the you know the majesty that that surrounds bill murray wherever he goes i think that would be a big contender if it came out nowadays but the atmosphere was such back then it was just yeah. you know they considered it fluff but it's a timeless classic the biggest problem I see with the Oscars is, um, or one of the biggest problems I see with the Oscars is they've only recently kind of started to look at horror a little more seriously in right. comedy. They've always really skirted, uh, unless it's like a musical or something like that. And it's like, uh, there's a lot of, yeah, I think there's a lot of really great, important movies that, you know, don't get the love that they should because they're not in the right genre. So Ellen Burstyn gets nominated for The Exorcist and she's fucking incredible in it. And everything. Um, yeah, and um, Rosemary's Baby comes along, and Mira Farrow gets nominated, and she's fucking amazing in that movie. But I watched something like Hereditary in 2018, mm -hmm. and Tony Collette doesn't even get a nomination. And the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking to myself, this is one of the best performances I've ever seen in my entire fucking life. I've never seen an actor go, th go through so many emotions in one movie completely snubbed by the studio maybe because of its horror aspects maybe not i just don't get it oh man yeah that's bogus i don't even care but i still bogus bogus <laughs> i would like to say that zodiac is a film that i know we uh, eric you love God, i love zodiac a lot and it got nothing it didn't get nominated it should have been not i mean there was no country for old men won uh for that year uh. but atonement Eh. <laughs> Michael Clayton, yeah. that was fair. That was a good one. Yep. And there will be blood. So it was there was definitely some good movies. So when they expanded to ten, this is maybe a one that would have benefited for a bit. But Zodiac, I thought should have been a top five film that year. Over Juno, Zodiac better than Juno. Juno is a good comedy, Jesus but Christ. Zodiac is a much better best picture film in my opinion. Yeah, I'm gonna go with you on that. I almost um, put Fincher's work in uh, Fight Club as a you know best director. I I don't know if a movie's ever done so many so much for like young inspiring filmmakers, but I think he was only nominated for Benjamin Button, which I think is his well, probably his worst movie. So mm -hmm. I just had to it really is. <laughs> well, I never saw Panic Room, so I don't know. Panic Room's okay. Um, <laughs> so I was looking at 1991, and to my amazement, Michael Lerner was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Barton <laughs> Fink. 
But John Goodman wasn't? Like, John Goodman uh. is incredible in Barton Fink. He is, he is fucking, he is a work, he's a force of nature, man, <laughs> in that movie. I mean, and, for, and like, it's like, for Michael Lerner to get nominated, not him instead, it's kind of insulting. Like, I'm sorry, Michael it's Lerner, hard. you just popped in for like four scenes and like, hammed it up. <laughs> um, also, the same year, Fisher King came out and didn't really get that much love. I mean, he got some. I mean, Robert Williams, I think, was nominated, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, that's, so it's not like it got completely snubbed, but that should have gotten it should have been nominated for best picture. Jeff Bridges probably should have been nominated too. Uh, there's a, there's, I think that's a really, really incredible movie that should have gotten a lot more play, especially since fucking JFK was getting all kinds of attention that, that year. And, and that movie's a fucking bomb. That's a movie's trash. Oh, well, I love the movie, but it's not true. But it, I do love it. It's highly entertaining. JFK. One day just, we'll take it on. Yeah, one day we should really take yeah, it on. Yeah, it might oh, happen. Please don't make me watch that fucking apart. trash. Um, to, to compare it to Fisher King, I mean, it's night and day for me, at least. Wow. We well, talk talk about the Coens. I have to imagine John Turturro was nominated Best Supporting for Miller's Crossing. Oh, dude, uh, yeah. That was another one. Go ahead. Miller's so, Crossing wasn't nominated itself. It wasn't. And I no. was thinking, um, if if I was I was actually thinking Albert Finney should have been nominated, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a definitely an underrated film. Uh, so yeah, good. there's so many. You know, when the Oscars only had five best pictures, it was a yeah. They've really changed the game now with the the, the ten. There's not a lot. They could still snub some pictures in our views, but it's made it easier for the the snubs of best picture now. But that's like first reformed. Yeah. Mm. Well, Thank there you. you go. There you Jesse go. Jesse James. I know this is just like the first reformed podcast now. This is like, <laughs> just gonna talk about Paul Schrader. Movie. <laughs> talk about Schrader every episode. Paul Schrader and in the cuts every single episode. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, my last pick. I, I I'd be very remiss if I didn't mention my last one out of the three that I really wanted to bring to the table. Uh, no one's seen this fucking movie. It's by Andrew Dominic, who did Jesse James and Killing Them Softly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie's Chopper, and the performance by uh, of all people, Eric Bana, uh, it's absolutely unfucking believable. Have any, have either of you guys seen this movie? Yeah. No, I have not seen that one. Uh, yeah, I was, I, was a, I was a little underwhelmed. Oh I my god. Uh oh. I, I think because the the um, endorsements that I got were similar to what you just kind of did, where it's like no one's seen this movie, but it's fucking amazing. Eric okay. Bana is gonna blow your mind, and I watch it. I'm like, oh, okay, it, was, it was good. It was good, <laughs> but maybe under maybe scale back the selling of it a little bit. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not though. I mean, you you like you look at something like Bronson, which pretty much is a similar character and gets a Very. ton of accolades for Tom Hardy. I I just think Eric Bana was out of sight in that, and definitely should be watched. You know, maybe with a little it's trepidation, good. but uh, it's good. No, it's I, I was, good. I was, Don't I was, get me wrong. Oh, yeah. okay. it's definitely a good okay. movie. I'm not, I'm not I got to break that. the tie on this, though. I'll have to watch it so we can get a third verdict on this film. I will do that at some point. Write that now down. You have to. This, <laughs> yeah. this week. Yeah, right now. Let's stop the podcast. I'll get, we'll restart it and I'll have an answer. No, right. I also want to <laughs> tell people to stop telling me that Adam Sandler should have been nominated for Uncut Gems last year. Please like, fuck oh, that shit. movie. Oh, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, fuck that movie. Yeah, I, I, I mean, hate that movie. I know. It's not. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, don't know, I can't really argue with a lot of that. I, I only watched it once, but he was okay, but he wasn't like, wow. He was much better in like, you know, when he did his work with PTA. That's much better. Punch I've got a Glove theory. Was much better. I, I, I've got a burgeoning theory, and I'm hesitant to bring it up, but I'm going to anyway, because we're uncensored here. Cinema 9. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and like it or leave it, I'll say it anyway. I got a feeling that 
movies like Uncut Gems and this performance by Adam Sandler are getting a lot of these huge props because of, you know, God love them, but younger folks coming in, guys like maybe in their late teens, early 20s that are just starting to get into cinema, just like we were in the late 90s. And we would always talk about like, oh, my God, Edward Norton, American History X and this sort of thing. And I think some of the younger movie fans are starting to do that with movies like Uncut Gems that, like, that makes us scratch our heads. And, like, yeah, that's ladies, a good point. Yeah, like Lady Bird. I keep seeing that every, everywhere. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I saw it, but I've seen movies exactly like that my entire life. But I, I don't know if there's anything behind this. Theory. I'll say this about, about Uncut Gems. Uh, 20, it came out in 2019. So did Murder Mystery. See Murder Mystery. That's oh, my take on Jesus. Yeah. Okay, I haven't seen Murder Mystery. Uh, it's a it's will, a superior movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd rather see Knives Out. That was a superior movie. Oh, that's a great movie. Um, I I just want to say Lady Bird. I, I really like the film a lot, and I've seen it several times. But I wow. do kind of see your point. I'm like, this is great. It really probably if I was shit if I was 17 years old, 16 years old, and I saw that movie and it came out, I might have been like, be wow. It. This movie's speaking to me. I really see it that way because it's still good, but I'm not as connected to it because I'm 39, you know? But I also could connect to the mother even though I'm not a parent, you know? I don't know. I, I see what you're saying. I just want you to, to think about, yeah, these generations come up and then there's movies yeah, that are more that, relevant to them I'm at saying. certain ages. I will break the, uh, I'll break the tie on Lady Bird because I haven't seen that. So I'll watch that this weekend. Come oh, next. really? Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. I really look forward to that. So, yeah, Oscar stubs come and go. Uh, the Oscars have their issues. It's a bloated mess at times. Travis loves it. He'll, he'll never give up on his Oscars. I respect that. Uh, Eric loves watching it. I check in for a few things. Always review the list when the Oscars are over to see who won. I, I definitely do that. So it is a part of culture. It always will be. But it's not going to be like, you know, 80 million people watching at once much longer. <laughs> Tell us, did we blow it? Give us an Oscar snub from the last 30 years, <laughs> 1990 to 2019. What was the Oscar snub that we just choked on the hardest? What did we totally biff? Because we mm. want to know what our biffs are. It's important to us. I feel like someone's going to say Uncut Gems was our big biff on this one. <laughs> oh, bring it on. Please, let's hear it. We, we would love <laughs> to state your case passionately and clearly so you get on the record here on the Cinema 9 podcast and at Cinema 9 pod at ProtonMail.com. As always, it's time to quarantine pick. Let's pick some films or TV show, if you will, that you've been watching over the last week that you would like to watch, that you strongly want to recommend. Travis, I know (sighs) that you are in the mouth Mm. of madness when it comes to film watching. So what's Uh, going on there? I've watched a lot of movies, like, like, like every week. (laughs) <laughs> um, I watched uh, I watched The King of Staten Island. You know, uh, oh! I, was, I, I wanted to see I wanted to see what the big hubbub was about. You know, Pete, yep. Pete Davidson's one of those guys. That I'm like, I, I know more about your personal life. Than I do your actual work. Yeah. So let me let me see what you're going to give me here. And you know, three quarters of the movie, it's just like, hey, here's a spoiled narcissist. Feel bad for this spoiled <laughs> fucking narcissist wow. who spins his tragedy into justification for that narcissist. Um, but it picked it, it, it did it, it, it was worth seeing in the end. I was happy that I watched it all the way through. Uh, Bill, Bill Barr, uh, sorry, Bill Burr was really, really good in it. Um, like he, he was really good. And, and Steve Buscemi played a firefighter, and since he really is a firefighter, it was super yeah, cool right. seeing that. Um, I also watched a talking cat, exclamation point, question mark. Exclamation Here we go. Point. Here we go. There um, it is. I, I, I would not recommend seeing the movie. 
I would recommend what, reading the reviews on IMDb. Uh, <laughs> and that's all I'll say about that. But uh, wow. a talking cat, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Just looking at that title had me to the point of tears for a while. So <laughs> I, I, if you, if you, if you want to watch a good, bad movie, I mean, it's a bad fucking movie. Um, it's on Amazon Prime. So <laughs> there you go. Um, I also watched, uh, I, I re-caught up with a general from 1998. Um, oh. uh, um, yeah. uh, which was, was held up really well, although I never understood why the cinematography is so bad. I guess John Borman just had <laughs> yeah. no budget, no budget for that movie. But it's a, uh, it's, it still holds up really well. And last but not least, my my main recommendation, and I'm a little worried that I'm going to do what I just was cautioning Eric against, and then I'm going to oversell it because I, I feel like people are, are are buzzing about this movie. They're talking about this movie. They're talking about the great Delroy Lindo's performance in *The Five Bloods*. And the, there's a reason why they're talking about it. I'm a little worried that people are going to get like overhyped and be like, eh, it's good. But man, I, I watched it the day it came out, especially when I, I realized that, because um, I was going to watch it anyway, because like, you know, it's fucking Spike Lee and I have Netflix. But when I saw that uh, Delroy Lindo, Delroy Lindo and uh, Clark Peters were stars, uh, like the main stars of the movie, I'm like, I'm watching this right now. And I literally sat down and watched it immediately and fucking loved it. And Delroy, like, there's a reason why that Oscar buzz is already out there. Wow. wow. I, God, I haven't seen him in since what Devil's Advocate or some shit. Ransom, yeah. <laughs> he's back and he's and he's bad. I do want to point out that you watched uh, two like brand new films, so that's interesting. Uh, those were two new releases. I haven't yeah. seen either one of those, and I am interested in seeing both. So thank you for bringing those up. What about you, Eric? What's on the, your mind this week? I'm not going to waste any time talking about like some of the mediocre trash I've been watching all week. I wanted to dedicate my segment to just one film and I'm going to plead a case and try to get it out of movie jail where it's existed for the past 40 years. Wow. I teased this. I said, my mind was blown after it was over. I was blown away and I've been blown away in a long time. Um, I, I don't under, I guess I do understand why this movie gets so much flack and, and the reasons behind it are just absurd. And now that so much time has passed, I'm so happy to say, if you haven't seen it yet, go in with an open mind because there is so much to enjoy and appreciate from this genius filmmaker, Michael Tremino. The film is Heaven's Gate. Have mm -hmm. you ever seen it? Never seen it. I've heard Know it all about it, it, but never seen it, yeah. My whole entire fucking life, that's all I heard is, oh, yeah, Heaven's Gate, Ishtar. This, yep. this is just total trash. Famous, famous bury it. Yeah, right. bury it along with all the E.T. Atari games in the middle of the fucking desert. <laughs> e. I thought it was, and you know, like I said before, art is subjective. I can't underscore that much, that enough. Some films speak to you, some do not. I thought this was a masterpiece, okay? I thought it was just as good as The Deer Hunter. The performances, Jeff Bridges... Chris Christopherson, John Hurt, Joseph Cotton, Brad Dorif, across the board, wonderful. The, mm. Some of the most beautiful photography I've ever seen in a movie in my entire fucking life. Uh, yeah, I think this filmmaker was a genius. He was thrown in movie jail, never got out of it, and passed away a few years ago. Um, I watched the companion piece, um, Final Cut, the making and unmaking of Heaven's Gate. So if you're curious, Go on YouTube and watch that documentary because it tells you the whole story about how this megamaniacal director who demanded, you know, 50 takes for a 10-second sequence was fucked over by the studio that was incompetent. Journalists that just went in 
with you know with like bait for their newspapers and and had no right to uh malign this so horribly it's just fascinating but the movie is fucking great i i wish anyone would see it i hope it gets its due justice sometime soon oh right. wow yeah that was yeah what a passionate passionate speech that passionate. was about heaven's gate man tender yeah really tender no I mean, it's got a 6.8 on IMDb, so it's not, like, bombing in the current world. So it was just the time and place where it got totally shit-canned and trashed, and it's not you keep hearing, Yeah, you keep hearing that it bankrupted the studio, but when you look into things, their stock fell half a point. It was back up the next day. They wrote <laughs> off the entire loss. Dude, the picture and, uh, muddled them in. And even if it did, who gives a shit? It's a Wonderful Life bankrupted Liberty Studios. Yeah, so, I absolutely. Mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the studio execs knew how good it was while they were watching it, but they, they were putting so much money into it. One of the, the fellas says, who ran the studio, that it was like telling Michelangelo to put down his paintbrush by, <laughs> by pulling the plug on, on the movie. So, yeah, I think it's a really great cautionary tale on the filmmakers, especially in you know, the, the late 20th century. Going to watch it. Yeah. Is it streaming? Did you, did Amazon you, Prime. Uh, Right. Hey, Amazon Prime. There's like right. there's like six versions of it. Watch the 154 minute version. That's the only one I've seen. I don't really think I'm going to venture into the other ones because I don't really want to uh, bog down my my opinion just yet. But uh, that's what I would recommend watching that two and a half hour version that cut from 1981. All right. I will get on that. That sounds like fun. Heaven's Gate, guys. 1981. Go back in time and let's right this wrong. I uh, yeah I just I watch some old classics that I like uh, I mean but not everybody knows me so maybe they'll be interested uh, I I did it I watched Charlie Wilson's War again oh I boy I, I just can't stop PSH it's so good it's one of his best roles he's so good in that movie him and Tom Hanks are fantastic in this film and even Julie Roberts who I really don't seem to like as a human being she's really good everybody steps up to the plate in this film so. You know her? Well, <laughs> I haven't Tell heard her back hi. in a while. Yeah, we've been emailing, but it's been kind of dry lately. Uh, What's well, that? Mike Nichols' last film, or I—I th- I want to say it was. You, you so, keep yeah. talking. I'll look it up. I will keep talking. I uh, saw some other films as well. Charlie Wilson's War is great. Please watch it. It's quick. It's fast-paced. There's a lot of fun people in it. It's got um, oh Christ, what's her name? Uh. She was in uh, Ex Machina, you know, that her. So that was like her yeah, first yeah. role. Just, yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. she plays like a Charlie Wilson's like one night stand. On, it's like, oh, there she is. Wow, she's a big deal now. So there's a lot of people popping in there. Amy Adams, always great. Love Amy Adams. Oh, God, yeah. So please watch and it, that. And it was his last, his last movie. Yeah. Very good, Eric. Rest in See, peace. You nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. He had a great life, was married to Diane Sawyer. No problem there, Mike Nichols. Hell of a run. Uh, except maybe for that movie he did with Gary what Shandler. What planet are you from? Yeah, that didn't. <laughs> I still haven't seen that. I still want to watch it because I want. I, I, I have it. I just let's watch it. Let's watch it for the cast. <laughs> Does it hold up? Oh. What planet are you from with Gary Shandler? Well, that would be a tall order from what I hear. Um, I also watched. Uh, maybe this might surprise you guys, but uh, this is a personal favorite. Again, I. I really like this movie. I watched Christine, and I've watched Christine. Oh, oh speaking of John many, Carpenter. Yeah, oh. right? Many, many times. I I love going back, and I hadn't actually seen it, though, in 
probably 15 years. I used to watch it when I was like six. Because <laughs> <laughs> it came out in 83 and it was on HBO a lot, like in like the mid to late 80s. We go to a babysitter's house. We watch Christine all the time. That's <laughs> all we ever talked about. And we're like little kids. My brothers were younger than me. And like the kid who lived there with the babysitter, he loved it. We always acted out Christine. We talked huh. about 57 Chevy, uh, you know, Chryslers, whatever the hell it was. And yeah. It Did was your babysitter deal. think you were watching like Heidi or Pollyanna? So, oh yeah, you can watch Christine, I guess. It sounds like a, a the, the house was filled. I mean, not like just kind of there. It was filled with antiques all over the place, everywhere. These people were like true antique dealers in 1987. <laughs> and I, they had erector sets from the 50s. They had all kinds of weird shit. Yeah, so they don't think they were really up to snuff on uh, what was going on on HBO. But anyways, <laughs> I love Christine. It was great. It held up. I, I found it to be a little different. It wasn't as scary to me as what it was when I was younger, obviously. But uh, One of the best scores of the 80s, period. Oh, well, John Carpenter's always good for a score. I love, he writes, score. love his best. musical talents. Uh, I got wasted and watched uh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China finally last night. Oh, way. you did? Oh. First time, very drunk. Oh. Wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did you it. enjoy yourself? Of course. It's, it's fun. It's a uh. fun movie. It's it's not as good as Prince of Darkness or In the Mouth of Madness, but oh. it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Well, that's just, yeah, to each his own. Absolutely on that one. But I'm glad we you forgot did. to talk about uh, John Carpenter's really dumb and lame Enter Sandman ripoff in the beginning of In the Mouth of Madness. <laughs> and that's the yeah. song. Yeah. I, skipped, I skipped the whole thing until the ambulance pulls up to the, the facility. <laughs> yeah. The, he, he, he collaborated, I think the guy's name is David Horth or something like that. They collaborated mm-hmm. together before for uh, Prince of Darkness and maybe some other <laughs> scores. But this is definitely the worst Carpenter score in the Mouth of Madness. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, if you find Christine, if it's streaming somewhere, uh, check it out. It's, it's underrated, probably. And I watched Clerks 2. I've seen Clerks 2 probably 87 oh, okay. times. It's such a good movie. It really is. You don't yeah, believe it. It's, it's a sequel. It's made 10 years later. You're like, this will be trash. But it's actually more heartfelt, and it really holds up. I really love it. It's hilarious. There are some things on it now that you could. There might be some debates about because there's a lot of colorful language in that movie. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. which is good. I would like to have those debates. I think that's a good thing about film. But what what's the debate? (laughs) Well, it's great. Like, what's the debate? There's well, there's an argument and discussion to be had about you know talking about racial slurs and using them in a comedy sense when it's not That's, funny but the guy's trying like he in the okay so the example is in the movie oh uh please don't say it okay i'm not gonna <laughs> say it but he's, he's trying to take back a slur that he didn't know was a slur and he spends the rest of the movie trying to do that and i feel like if he'd done the movie again he probably would like to not do that now but at the oh. same time he's a risky guy and it's a very vulgar film so I see the desire to want to, hey, let's take this up a notch. I'm going balls out. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feeling. I'm just trying to write what I think are authentic characters. And I love trying to toe that line between, hey, this is a person that would really exist, whether you like it or not, versus uh, this is not appropriate and censoring it. So I, that's what I'm thinking about when I think of that discussion. Listen, when, when Kevin Smith puts his mind to it, and it's very hit or miss, he can write some really beautiful stuff. I mean, who who didn't want to tell one of their best friends back, you know, in their 19, 20, 21s that we didn't want them to move away and like change and even improve on their life because we needed them in our mm-hmm. lives. I mean, 
it's powerful. It really was. Yeah, that part of the film, it really surprisingly how powerful it is. Like, wow. They, they really I'll have to rewatch it, it I guess, because I, I only watched it once, maybe twice, and it was like, this is not great. I'm a huge Clerks fan. I grew up yeah. and love it. But, but, I'd like and to I see still what like you think now. Kevin Smith, but uh, I'll have to give it another shot. Maybe. Rosario, Rosario Dawson's also fantastic in it, and she's like the funniest I've ever seen her in that film, and that's the reason I like it, too. And, and the last thing, uh, there's the big debate. They do the Jedi versus uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy debate between the <laughs> fantasy geeks in that film, which was based mm. off a real rant that he went on in real life. So I, I love that part of the film. It's hilarious. And that's it. That's what I watched this week. That's what we've been watching. We would love to share more films with you. If you have something that we need to watch that maybe we haven't watched, send it in. Cinemanidepod, protonmail.com. Next week, we've got Eric's choice. Does it hold up, Eric? What is it going to be? It's time for the big reveal. We do not know exactly what it was going to be until this moment. Well, strap in, boys. Hit the panic button. It's <laughs> Requiem for a Dream. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> oh, the feel-good movie of the year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, I can justify it or I can wait, but that had a huge impact on, on uh, you know, people when they're 19, 20 back then. Huge impact for film. <laughs> Has right. to ask, man. I'm gonna do it. It's gonna oh, be shit. interesting. Of course, that's the first thing you reference. Oh, I have to. <laughs> I have to. Yeah. Just, just get it out of the way now. That's right. We'll do it again. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's gonna happen next week. Looking forward to it. Okay, cool. Requiem for a Dream. That's officially on the docket for next week's episode. We're gonna watch it over the next week. If you want to follow along and join in next week's podcast, why don't you watch Requiem for a Dream? I'm sure you can find it somewhere streaming. Find a safe space. That's right. Yeah. Take two and a half hours. Settle down. You know, maybe do some drugs if you want to. And, you know, let us know what you think of it because we're going to review it next week. Does this movie make you want to do drugs? I mean, I feel like it's a movie that makes you want to not do drugs. Yeah. That's, that's why I find it interesting. Like, what if people did drugs during that film and they're like, oh, man, I really regret the choice I made just then? I ate that whole bag of shrooms and sat down and watched Record for a Dream. What was that? Oh, Look, you can quit after you watch it, but we need your support. Wow, that sounds frightening. Holy cow. Truth. Sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, check in with us next week. Until then, we're going to keep on rolling. We're going to have more, more and more next week. We'll talk movies and actors and what holds up and what doesn't. And, you know, you never know. That's it. We're done. You want some too, buddy? I can't. He wrote me this way. <laughs> <laughs>